Jansen. Hello. Hello, Jansen. How are you? Doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. <laughs> nice. Yeah, man. Good to hear you're back back in the podcast game. <laughs> yes, it took me a while because there's just been a lot of changes. And yeah. for me, anytime there's like a transition in my life, it takes me completely out of my element. <laughs> <laughs> How's your transition? Yeah, it's going pretty well. I definitely am getting a full crash course in Spanish. I still work with essentially 95%. Spanish speaking only people. <laughs> wow. I mean, so, yeah. at least you'll become bilingual somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Otherwise, <laughs> it's just going to be a lonely time. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's, uh, if anything, it's really good. The experience is really nice. In today's podcast, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about hydroponics. I'm more on the traditional side of planting, and I truly didn't get into hydroponics until I was. I got into the club with you and mm -hmm. me into it. And at first I was like, not about it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd be so much more about it. You're like, oh, yay. I don't have to be outside in the field. <laughs> I know, but I covered I, in dirt and bugs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And see, that's the thing. I've become so much in love with hydroponics now that I have my <laughs> own hydroponic system. Nice. nice. <laughs> it was, I want to say almost a $2,000 investment. It doesn't have to wow. be so pricey at all. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I can tell you right now, I'm finishing up my first, my first round of cannabis and it cost me, I think all in all about 300, 300 bucks, something like that. But luckily I can literally just take like, hydroponic nutrient solution from the ponds that we have at work. And apparently that's what like several people do for growing their own plants wow. at home. Yeah. So it's just already pH EC correctly and just add that in there. Keep swapping it out every now and then and everything looks great. It and grows. Yeah. And what does the EC do? I know it means electric. Yeah. Conductivity. It's honestly, it's convoluted a little bit. Conductivity is essentially just a measure of the actual potential within your, within your solution. So it's showing you a concentration of salts really, and specifically ones that are able to that have like enough of a charge that okay. they could stimulate like an electrode. So if you're measuring a nutrient solution, and let's say it's like 1.4. Typically, the big things that you're actually measuring with that EC meter are your macronutrients like nitrogen, potassium, because you have typically like 100 to 250 ppms of those specific nutrients, whereas everything else is minimal. Like your micronutrients, you're going to have 0.2 for libidinum. So that would never register for your EC. But uh, so yeah, whenever you're measuring EC, it's really just stands for electrical conductivity. And all it is just measuring the concentration of salts in the easiest of terms, salts that are available for your plant. Wow. So. That's, that's amazing. And a lot of people don't realize that plants within themselves are able or capable of breaking down chemicals to get exactly what they need out of them. I'll explain mm -hmm. it in another podcast, but I've just been out of I just been out of it so much that I can't even remember <laughs> what that's called. <laughs> no, it's all good. Honestly, <laughs> there's 
whenever you said you wanted this to be about hydroponics, I was like, man, I have nothing prepared, but I guess I've just lived that life for the last eight years now. So I guess any questions you have, I can probably go ahead and answer them. Yeah, refer you to resources. (laughs) Yeah, this is just a general like conversation just to give a person who doesn't have any idea what hydroponics are. I was trying to explain it to a friend and to get into hydroponics because her husband was trying to set up a nursery. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, I don't even that life anymore. Just go into hydroponics. (laughs) Don't ask me any more questions about planting plants (laughs) and all that and the soil. And I don't care. And she's like, what's hydroponics? It's basically growing plants in a nutrient-filled solution. And what would you say to a person if you were trying to convince them to go to the hydroponic route? Is it less pests? Because she read something on Google (laughs) and it scared her because she's, oh, God, there's a bunch of water pathogens that kill off your plants. And I'm just like, that's mostly in like commercial commercial nurseries that they have to worry about things like that but on a smaller scale like a small garden i don't think you really have to worry about things like pythium yeah and realistically it's just on that note uh most times people get their water like treated for the most part like your water that's coming out of your faucet or out of your hoses outside for the most part is being treated to a degree by like a municipal water facility. It's been chlorinated and filtered multiple times. So the chances of you having pathogens in your water source just to begin with are relatively low, but it's really, it comes down to you having the presence of that pathogen. It's the disease trial, the the presence of that pathogen, the correct environment for that pathogen, and then susceptible plant that can host that pathogen. So for Pythium, if you have lettuce, for instance, if you're growing a single head of lettuce inside of water that technically has Pythium in it, you could essentially do just fine by taking care of the lettuce and not leaving any room for stress where the Pythium can take hold. That's It's funny, we actually have several ponds. I'd say we have 10 ponds right now, and 10 out of 10 ponds has Pythium. Wow. And it's just existing in the water column and basically just floating around. And we have a pretty consistent harvest period. So we grow baby greens. So we're harvesting usually around, we plant the seed and then we'll wait about 21 days till we're harvesting it from our ponds. And at that point, we can have Pythium infected plants, but unless there was some sort of stress event that happened, it got way too hot or you added way too much of some sort of salt that kind of burned the plant roots or added too much acid that burned the plant roots, that causes an opening or even pests attack. So if you have white flies or fungus gnats or any sort of pests that are like sucking pests, a lot of times they're going to be able to vector things like that or they're going to be able to act as a transmitter of those things. You can always have pythium even with when you're growing a single head of lettuce it's just whether you grow a you know a healthy plant or if you, that attracts less pests or if you grow an unhealthy plant that attracts way more pests and then of course whether or not your pathogen is present in your nutrient solution and but, what's, what's yeah. the difference of growing plants traditionally Pest-wise. Pest-wise? Yeah. So let's start with insect pests. When it comes to insects, your typical hydroponic setup 
is indoors. There, there are a lot of outdoor hydroponics and that's, you can totally do that. But a large amount of people, typically whenever you invest in something like a greenhouse, a lot of people want to use hydroponics because there's a greater control over everything and you're already spending a bunch of money on a greenhouse to keep away the pests and now you're wanting to use the best methods to keep your plants filled with nutrients, basically nice and healthy. The issue is like with traditional agriculture, you're out in the element, you're completely exposed. So if you revisit what we just said with that disease triangle, we basically have a stressful environment a stressful environment that we can't readily control just outdoor weather and we also have the presence of multiple pathogens and multiple insects that we again can't control unless we're using things like pesticides or structures that we build over them and then you're obviously experiencing a lot of stress in that instance your plants uptake of nutrients and water are going to be slowed just because they depend on the environment being favorable. So you having 70%, 80% humidity outside and you having a nice like 80 degrees, 85 degrees, a little breeze, something that'll basically be constantly stimulating nutrients being taken up from the soil and being evaporated off of the top of the plant through transpiration. So yeah, so in, in the instance of outdoor agriculture, you're really dependent on a lot of your environment and you have less control. Whereas with hydroponics, I would say that like you begin to increase your control as far as nutrient and like internal plant balances are concerned. So you typically see less, I'd say less pest interactions in a well-maintained hydroponic greenhouse versus a well-maintained farm or something like that. You will have natural predators on your farm They can take out like pests and things like that. But in my greenhouse right now, my biggest problems are shore flies and fungus gnats, which are basically just very specific to greenhouses and hydroponics because they eat algae. Yeah. So you're going to have completely different pests almost whenever it comes to hydroponics and field grown stuff. But I would say the biggest difference in between the two is what kind of pests you'll actually have to encounter. And then also your ability to healthy plant that can withstand that that pest, basically. So you have a greater control over that plant nutritional balance in your plant through hydroponics, in my belief at least. I've done several research projects at this point, and I can pretty readily say that you can accumulate more nutrients and more water in a much faster rate compared to a field-grown And with fungus gnats on a smaller Mm -hmm. scale, let's say your home garden, it's a lot easier to control because the way fungus gnats reproduce is through organic material. So when it's Mm -hmm. things are dying, they're laying their eggs in the organic material. Yeah. So for fungus gnats, whenever you're dealing with a container plant, uh, a really big issue is, okay, you have the top of your container is exposed because you water your plants. If you have nothing but potting soil inside there and no like vermiculite or parboiled rice hulls or like some sort of topping to your soil and you have fungus gnats, the way fungus gnats get in there is they basically go to the soil level. The adults begin to feed on the algae that forms on the top layer of your soil from using geyser and water. And it basically begins to eat that algae. And then at the same time, it stick. this is going to be very not technical, but they're basically <laughs> going to wind up reproducing and placing their eggs inside of the soil itself. 
And then what happens is those larvae, once they hatch, they actually directly go towards the roots of your plant inside of that soil, and they will start nibbling at the ends of your roots. And so they're known as insects that are very dating whenever you have pythium in your water source. Because imagine having roots in a source of water or in a source of media that's been watered with pythium, and then you have little guys nibbling at the ends, that pythium has a perfect spot to go in. When it comes to hydroponics, we didn't really have as much issues as the containers whenever it came to small container gardening, two-gallon azalea pot or something like that because we would have that azalea pot that had soil in it and everything that would be going against a five liter bucket that had net cup in it a much smaller surface area of soil to come in contact with for that fungus net and then we basically had i would say maybe four inches of soilless media the rest of it is suspended in water so it's relatively contained So you had less of an opportunity for those fungus gnats to really come in and start a problem in the hydroponic systems like that. However, if you have like an ebb and flood table that's basically like the length of a bathtub, length and width of a bathtub, you're going to have a large amount of surface area for any sort of insect that wants to come in and damage your roots oh wait i have an ebb and flow system yeah you have an ebb and flood table (laughs) yeah but it's mine is small it's not that big basically (laughs) the water comes up gives the the roots its nutrients and then it goes Mm -hmm. back down into the the reservoir for me i haven't had any problems thus far thank god (laughs) because i really hate bugs but yeah i just I really liked that system. I think I preferred mm-hmm. that than the than the drip system. Oh, you're talking about like the uh, the NFT systems, or are you talking about the uh, the just like a hydroponic as a solution being dripped into a soilless container? Yes, yes. Okay, I got you. Yeah, the ebb and flows. They're real good for certain crops. I know they're very good for vegetables and more compact vegetables, and then also flowers. They're really good for flowers. What kind of media are you using? Are you just, are you planting them? The clay rocks. The clay pellets? So you have expanded clay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the cool thing with those expanded clay pellets, and I think I I probably gassed on about this before whenever I was in the club with y'all, but I absolutely love expanded clay pellets as a nutrient medium, just because they have so many benefits they have those those macro and micro pores in them that are able to contain like a lot more and and transfer the plant so they're pretty readily accessing all the nutrients they need at any given time there's a large amount of aeration since they're so large and they have all those air gaps and then on top of that you can go ahead and once you finish with one round of growing you can take that same media and basically put it into a sanitizing solution of chlorine, or sorry, of like bleach and water. And you can go ahead and soak that for a while and basically that substrate again. Yeah. And so you're only, the only thing that I'd recommend if you don't want any bugs, make sure you keep an eye on your nitrogen and how much you're applying because the biggest thing that will attract insects in hydroponic growing, in my opinion, or not even hydroponic, but just all around growing is nitrogen. Just because a lot of times, it's actually really interesting. So certain insects will feed on, will target unhealthy plants because they are not capable of taking up a large amount of nitrogen 
at a time because we use nitrogen as a building component for our bodies and biological functions but essentially certain insects will go for weaker plants because they can't handle that amount of nitrogen that stronger ones have and they're not able to necessarily feed as well on healthy plants whereas other insects if you start over fertilizing your plants not only will you wind up having a plant that has a ton of nitrogen inside of it but a lot of times you're going to wind up having algae that will start to grow from excess nitrogen in the media and that's whenever you're going to start having issues with fungus gnats especially if that media is too saturated it's getting too wet staying too wet too much nitrogen in there but then you're also going to wind up having any other insect that naturally enjoys high nitrogen. So they actually, they'll smell it. Like plants put off chemicals, volatile chemicals in the air that basically say, I'm healthy, look at me. It's a certain insects and that makes those insects target them, which is, it's always mind boggling to me whenever you just think, oh, a healthy plant doesn't necessarily mean it's not a target. It just means that it's a harder thing to kill or a harder thing to take down. But right. some insects love that. Some insects don't. Yep. How do you try to fix that through the pH and EC meters? Are you for how do I manage my nitrogen? Yeah. So you're going to want to go ahead and just focus on the, whenever you purchase a bag of fertilizer or any sort of water-soluble fertilizer for your hydroponic solution, it'll give you pretty general instructions on the back. For typical home hydroponic people, I usually recommend just sticking with recommendations that are given on the backs of bottles. If you're wanting to get more into tailoring your fertilizers and things like that, you can go ahead and buy what we call complete fertilizers, things like Peter's 20-20-20 or like a 2010-20 that have a full package of your nutrients that are required for your plant to grow. And basically just using nutrient calculators online, a really good one to use is Back Pocket Grower. Mm -hmm. It was designed by the University of Florida, and it's capable of giving you exact instructions on how much fertilizer you're going to need to add into your system to get a specific PPM, which is parts per million of nutrients. So we target a healthy target for nitrogen for PPMs would be, I think I mentioned before, anywhere from, you know, I'd say 75 to maybe 250 PPM, depending on the plant. Yeah. But so, yeah, you're able to once you rank up from just reading the backs of the bottles and you want something bigger to take hold of and start growing even better plants and having more control. That's whenever you can start going into those nutrient calculators and start working with PPMs versus teaspoons per gallon, some kind of thing. It's uh, so the easiest way to control your nitrogen and make sure you're not exceeding the amount you need is by just simply following the back of a bottle of nutrients and not over applying your fertilizer solutions. Because more than likely, over application of nutrients is not only going to be bad for your wallet because you're wasting money, bad for your wallet because your plant's not going to be taking up all of those nutrients. They're just going to sit there and they're going to start to accumulate. And unless every time you make a new solution, you're dumping out the old one, you're basically going to wind up having a bunch of accumulating nutrients that your plant doesn't necessarily want to take up at that point. So I'd say just follow the back of the bottle. If you want to use your EC meter, you can confirm a healthy EC for plants is typically anywhere from, I'd say, 1.3 to 2.5. But yeah. yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, the backpocketgrower.org. That's a great yeah. website to check for resources and really great information.
Yeah, and they have, not only do they have a lot of tools for their calculators, they do the same thing for irrigating calculators. So like some people may not know how often they need to be watering their plants. This will go ahead and have a calculator in there that says, how much does the amount of media you put in there weigh? And what kind of plant are you trying to grow in there? Okay, this is a recommendation for how much water you should apply. And it'll usually give it something like milliliters. You can convert that to cups if you want to and just be home watering with your measuring cups and stuff. But yeah, yeah. So that's a really good tool right there if you want to get more into hydroponics. There's even online certificates you can get on there too. The website is really great. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some different kinds of things that you can access through there and trainings and it really helps you. It's specifically geared towards greenhouse growers. It does touch on mixing nutrient solutions and watering and even it has like costing and economic calculators in there too. If you're, like you said, your friend's trying to possibly start up a nursery, this has uh, trainings and calculators that would help him do product planning and cost breakdowns and stuff like that. Nice. So I really am trying to get into it now. I haven't had really that much time on my hands. So when we're talking about time management, one of the hardest parts about being a plant parent is when you're going on vacation. You're going two weeks or three weeks. You're trying to find someone to water your plants while you're gone or try to find different solutions to make sure your plants get sufficient amount of water. That's something you have to worry about with hydroponics. Not as much. So the amount of... plants begin to hit certain stages and their life cycles where they begin to rapidly take up nutrients. And for lettuce, it's two weeks in and lettuce will just start taking off and like sucking up water like nobody's business. For tomatoes, it's eight weeks in. It'll really start pushing more nutrients into trying to establish a plant that can fruit well. But yeah, I'd say that for the most part, for my cannabis plant, I'm able to go ahead and just essentially put three and a half gallons inside of a five gallon bucket. And then I can go ahead and leave that by itself without having to change it for probably about a week and a half. That's the longest I can make it. And if you talk about like a container plant, you think about just the dimensions of a bucket that's five gallons versus the typical pot that somebody might have a container. And if you fill that container with media, or some sort, I say media, some sort of like soilless potting soil or something like that, uh, you're going to wind up, yeah, rock <laughs> wool. You're basically taking up uh, space in that container. And so you're limiting the amount of water you can put in there. So whenever you remove that media or that whatever from the container and you're just using just nutrient solution, you're definitely going to have less need to refill that solution over time. But that is a really big advantage in my head about hydroponic growing is the fact that Once you put in the effort, time, money to establish a system, you can usually leave it and walk away from it for a pretty good amount of time. Yeah. So I'd say week, a week tops before you start to go back and look at your roots and look at your pH and your EC uh, or just change out your nutrient solution altogether, just depending on what your target is. And I also want to point out having a hydroponic system and growing whatever it is you'd like it's way less labor intensive, except for the harvesting part, (laughs) 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 because it yields so much more product than the traditional way. It really, 
you're able to really optimize the nutrients and like the water uptake of your plants whenever you're using a hydroponic system. The tricky part is, and I always, everybody can jump into hydroponics as fast as they want, but I'm going to tell you right now, it costs more money than, than typical container growing. And my, my projects that I did research on in the past were a lot of them were focused on economic analysis of greenhouse versus indoor grown plants and container versus hydroponic grown plants. And what we found is that given certain economic scenarios or certain situations, you can have most of the time hydroponics is better, but you can actually have certain instances like containers grown in a greenhouse with controlled release fertilizer or some other sort of just nutrient fertilizer that we would use in hydroponics, that you can actually get something relatively similar, but you're still going to be having to deal with all the issues of the plant. The, the added labor that you do get from hydroponics is you have to be accurately looking at your water at all times, you, not all times, every few days at least, week at most, you should be checking the pH of your water the EC of your water to see if you need to add more nutrients to that water to raise the EC or if you need to add a little bit of like acid to drop the pH. Your Since your roots are in direct contact with water, they have a lot more interaction happening between them versus if they were in soil or out on a farm, you know, that nutrients and water that you drip into the dirt right there, that's going to be interacting a lot with the uh, soil. And so whenever you remove that altogether, basically you just have a body of water that can rapidly influence your plant health. So, you know, for NFTs, for instance, if I just, if I just, if my pump fails and I go three hours without water, I can, that can wilt all my plants that could potentially kill all my plants. Whereas oh. if you have a container and you water it and you forget to water it for two or three days, you should, you can typically be fine. You, know, <laughs> you can come back to it because the soil will basically retain a lot of that water and keep it in where roots can get to it at all times. So it's, there are definitely pros and cons to both the labor aspect becomes more technical versus more, though it's a lot more about learning how to use a pH meter or an EC meter. If you don't want to do that, you don't even have to like really learn how to use pH and EC meters to grow a good hydroponic crop. You could honestly just, like I said, follow the instructions for any fertilizer, water-soluble fertilizer, hydroponic fertilizer, just the back of the nutrient bottle will tell you how many gallons or how many teaspoons to mix with a gallon of water. Uh, so you'll already have an EC that they're having you target. Usually I will say, fertilizer companies are trying to make money. So a lot of times they'll tell you to target higher than you should. I'd still follow their recommendations just in case they're being nice and they aren't. But at the same time, yeah, you definitely want to go ahead and follow those if you want to maintain a specific EC. For cheap methods of monitoring your pH, you can just buy pH pool kits and use little paper, paper strips and just keep the pH in between five and seven. And for the most part, you'll be all good. Wow. Depending on your crop, of course. There's certain plants that have issues with, it's a metal, elements like iron, nickel, copper, manganese, any of those nutrients that are necessary for plants. But at high enough pHs, once you get above 6.2 or 6.5, you actually start to lose your plant's ability to take those nutrients out of solution. Oh, wow. 
So you, you do have to monitor your pH a bit if you want to have a healthy plant. When Jansa says NFT, it just means it's a nutrient film technique. And it's a bit similar to the ebb and flow process, except it's a bit similar to the ebb and flow process. It's like a stream of nutrients just flowing through a system and it just circulates back and forth. So I'm just going to say the easiest mental picture that I can give to people for an NFT is just to imagine a typical gutter that's on the side of their house, like a rain gutter. And if oh, you nice. just cut that gutter in half and you just put plants inside of it, that stream of water that runs through it, it's going to be, you're going to want it to be very thin, but essentially that's the mental picture right there that's... is several heads of lettuce growing inside of a gutter. That's a perfect so, example, actually. <laughs> I was trying so to just, I, I know the NFT concept can be a little bit confusing, but usually anytime I say gutters, people immediately think of that long white steel gutter or something. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Thank you for have for coming on today. I really appreciate it. I've been trying to do another episode for a while. The last episode I did was, I believe it was with you. And I just haven't gone on here much. And it's only because, like I said, the whole transition thing. Thank you for coming yeah. on. <laughs> of course, man. Anytime you want to talk plants, hydroponics, anything else, I'm always here. I will say the last thing I want to put out there for any aspiring hydroponic growers is that it's, it's a really, it's gaining popularity right now. There's a lot of opportunities more than ever for homeowners, younger kids to really start getting into the world of hydroponics. And with how tech savvy people are getting these days and how the cost of certain electric products are going down, you're going to wind up actually having a wider range of people that are able to access hydroponics over growing on farms. We don't all live in rural areas or near community gardens. So hydroponics is a really cool way for people that don't have access to certain areas to grow in, to really going in that direction and experiencing pl plants. And I'd say personally, the easiest way to go about hydroponics is just to go ahead and follow online instructions, the basic ones to just put together a very cheap system to go ahead and get it started, small bucket, or even, heck, you can take a, you can take a two liter soda bottle, cut a, cut, cut a third of it off, Take that top cap part right there, flip it upside down, push a little piece of string through that cap, fill the bottom part with water, and water will literally go up that cap, and you can put a plant inside of that top part right there. So that's a hydroponic system. So there's such there's so many different levels that you can enter into hydroponics. So do not cost really be a barrier. All that means is that you just have to figure out what system is going to work for you and for your budget and for your crop. But yeah, so exactly. hopefully this is helping some people get into it and it's a really cool adventure to go on. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, I highly recommend it. You can grow hydroponics just in any little area in your in your home, on your patio, <laughs> in your garage. <laughs> and you can grow anything hydroponically. Oh. Is it economically feasible? No, but you can grow banana trees, mango trees, full-on bushes in, in hydroponic trees. systems. Orange <laughs> trees, any tree. Yeah. <laughs> you can grow redwood oak trees in, in hydroponic systems if you want to. But yeah, imagination is your only limit. Yeah, <laughs> I saw someone grow, start growing an orange tree 
in rock wool, the hydroponic route and the roots mm-hmm. just, it just came throughout the rock wool and you can buy all of this stuff on Amazon and, or your kind of small hydroponic shop. Mm-hmm. Once the tree got to about three foot, they just put it in the ground and Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you can definitely start some pretty good plants that way there is usually an initial like shock whenever you move the plants from the the, that beautiful no obstacles bucket of water into like hard soil with like rocks and different stuff in there so you definitely got to be careful but yeah it could be a really good way to to kind of breed plants or get a good collection of plants going yeah, definitely. It's just a process. I don't want to. I don't want to plug any anybody in particular. As far as I, I'm not sponsored by anybody, <laughs> but I will say if you're looking into the commercial route of just purchasing your own system or something like that, some good people to look into would be Scott's Miracle Grow. They actually make the Arrow Gardens uh, mm-hmm. become really popular, and they also make a system called the Twelve System which is meant for a little bit taller crops. So tomatoes and peppers, and you can even grow cannabis in those if you want. And then of course you have the arrow towers now, which are the outdoor towers that people have more often, vertigros, things like that. So there's a lot of entry points and different systems you can get. And if you're too afraid to DIY it, it's totally understandable to just go ahead and go with the uh, Lego pieces that they send you and just put it all together, follow instructions, and then start tweaking things from there to get your own personality into the hydroponic operation there. But yeah. I got to have you back on to do a cannabis hydroponics. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm still learning, but I definitely know horticulture, so I can tie it in there. Just the I, advantages I'm, I'm... and disadvantages. Oh, yeah, I can definitely tell you some of those for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, man. So any anytime you're wanting to hear more, just give me a shout and I'm always here. <laughs> and, and that's it for us, folks. My name is Tafari and I have Jansen again back with us. Please follow, rate the show, subscribe, all of that stuff. Thank you for listening.